It's Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? It's called a Baja-inspired tunic. Ever heard of it? (laughs) (laughs) I love a Baja-inspired tunic. I can't wait to get into our little culture segment today, and you'll learn more about this tunic. (laughs) (laughs) We promise it's a good story. It's one that we stumbled across during research. As we always do. It's like Alice in Wonderland, like right down the freaking rabbit hole every time. Every time. First, we have just a couple of like kind of fun. I'm going to call it media roundup because it wasn't really on social media, but it's kind of like a media roundup of what we've been reading and watching. And by we, I mean me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kelly's got some stuff on her list. She's going to read and watch, too. So maybe (laughs) maybe maybe in the next couple of weeks she can fill us in on her her stuff. (laughs) I watch a lot of of the same shows over and over. It's like an anxiety. You know, we know that whole thing where you watch like a comfort show. So I've been doing that a lot lately. (laughs) I tend to go into like the really obscure documentaries. Like that's like where I stumble into when I'm producing Netflix. (laughs) That's great. So the first one, my husband's really into rom-coms. He actually didn't even watch this with me. And he missed out because it was called longest third date mm-hmm. on netflix and it was about this couple I, I can't even call them a couple they weren't a couple sorry <laughs> these two individual people who had met on a dating app had dated two times like they went on two just quick like dinner dates and they were both a little adventurous i guess in nature for the third date the guy pitched Hey, haha, the tickets to Costa Rica right now are like real cheap, like $230. Like, do you want to go to Costa Rica for our third date? Because it was during COVID, right? Or about? It was in March 2020, like maybe early March 2020. Oh, so, like, okay. So it just... was just taking yeah. shape. Yeah. Gotcha. But, like, but I guess the airline prices were already starting to plummet. Right. Okay. But it was like before the shutdown, before everything shut down. So and nobody clearly knew how serious it was going to get. Right. Yeah. So they're just looking at it like, yo, look at these look at these cheap cheap tickets to Costa Rica. It's like two hundred dollars and we can go to Costa Rica. Like this is amazing. (laughs) And so this girl with this man that she has met two times at dinner, she thinks about it. She like consults her friends and she's like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Why not? You only live once. She goes to Costa Rica with this man. And they are there for it's like really awkward at first. And for some. Oh, the best part of the whole thing is that this guy, for some strange reason, he's like um, he had like a YouTube channel or something. And he would like document his life. He was like a vlogger. Mm -hmm. And so he documented this like entire thing videos his own videos so i'm watching this documentary but it's all the real footage that they recorded at the time it's not like a reenactment in any way shape or form (laughs) it's like this is the real raw footage and they have hours and hours of it i'm sure (laughs) but they get down there to costa rica they're there for a couple days and it was only supposed to be like a quick like oh three-day trip or whatever to costa rica 
their flight got canceled home and then COVID started just getting crazy. And they were like, oh my God, we can't get another flight for like until next week. So then they were there for like a whole week or a week and a half. And then that flight home got canceled. And then it just, they were like, oh, now you can't get a flight out for a month and a half. And then it just kept spiraling out of control. Oh my God, that's amazing. They were stuck there for months. That's amazing. (laughs) I love love. (laughs) So, I mean, not to give it away, but like they were still together when they did the documentary. So like they came back and then they continued dating when they came back to New York or wherever they lived. See, so maybe that's like what relationships nowadays have to get like put through a test. Throw them in like a fort. Ooh, trademark that reality reality show. <laughs> Throw them into a remote island and see if they come out stronger and better as ever. It's almost like the unknown, though. Like if you knew going in that, like, oh, this is like a yeah, test. True. And, like, we have to like, you know, survive together or whatever. Like if you knew, like that was like supposed to be the outcome. I feel like it would taint the experiment versus like this was just unfolding naturally. So we have to kind of do it like the jury duty where like the contestants, the two couples don't know. Right, right, right. They don't know what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just keep canceling their flights home. <laughs> well, nowadays it's easy to do that. <laughs> but it was so wild to watch. So here they are just all of a sudden stranded in an, a foreign country. They don't know necessarily the culture or the language, although they both did seem very like well traveled. They seemed mm-hmm. very like, uh, um, I think she, I think her parents might have actually been like Asian immigrants to the U.S. Oh, wow. So she, I think she might have been first gen, which is actually really funny because it, <laughs> she I think told her mom that she was going on this trip, but she did not tell her dad that she was in Costa Rica with the boy she just met. And then, like, throughout the the documentary, she has to deal with, like, oh, my God, I've been in Costa Rica for, like, three months. I need to tell my dad what's going on. And then she she finally got the courage to tell, to call him. She's like, oh, like, it was this big thing. Like, and, of course, the guy records it because he's vlogging their whole experience. Oh, my God. And so she's she's like FaceTiming with her dad and being like, I'm I've actually been in Costa Rica for three months. I'm stuck here and I'm just I'm with work friends, she says. So my God, she still couldn't like own up and tell him the truth. And this is like not like a child. Like This is like I think she was in her mid to late 20s. Right. But I feel her pain. (laughs) I feel her pain. Hysterical (laughs) to watch just that whole segment unfolding because it was so familiar. It was like, oh, my God. It's afraid to tell her immigrant dad that like she's in another country with a man she just met on a phone app. I was gonna say online, yeah, no less. And then just watching them just try like immerse themselves in the culture, and you got to start speaking the language. They had to find new places to live because they got immediately kicked out of the hotel. Hotel shut down that they had been staying at. So then they had to find like Airbnbs and then like they could stay in one for like a certain amount of time. And then they were like, well, now if we're going to be here for a month, we might as well try to explore more parts of the. Yeah. The area of your situation. So so they would move around to different Airbnbs and they would like reach out to people and be like, we need an extended stay Airbnb. Like, what can you do for us? So they were like just they had to go grocery shopping and live like it was like they were living there. Yeah, they were living together in Costa Rica. 
<laughs> sign me up. <laughs> no, the only anxiety part I would have is the living situation. And like, if I'm ever going to go home, I guess, am I ever going to make it out of here and go home? That would be my other anxiety. I think right. at that point, knowing I'm stuck in Costa Rica, I wouldn't even care about the dude. <laughs> I'd just be like, all right, we're in this together. I think that's kind of like what happened was like, all right, like we are we're stuck here and you're the only other person I have in this whole place. So we need to get along and we need to figure yeah. this out. And they actually both seemed so chill. Like just I mean, who you can't be that like high strung if you're doing that type of thing <laughs> to begin right, with to take an off. Yeah. Yeah. To take off on a third date to Costa Rica. So they were both just like very chill, very laid back. And that I think worked because neither one of them was like freaking out about their situation oh it's on my list to watch i have to watch it i thought you were gonna say it's on my list to do like to get Uh, or that too if i have any takers any listeners as i was watching the show i'm like this girl's crazy like no nobody would do this like who loves traveling that much that they would just up pack up and just take off with the man that they just met (laughs) And I was like, Kelly, that's who, that's who, that's who would do this. I would 1000% I would do it because I wouldn't look at it as like, oh, my opportunity for love. I wouldn't be like, I'm like, I'm like, well, I get to explore a new country. Right. For $200. And even, even better, $200. You can't go wrong. Oh, so the best part is she was working. So she like she was still getting a paycheck and shit because she was working. She had her laptop with her. Like, I don't know. If oh, she, nice. I don't know if she like didn't take time off for the original like three or four day trip. And like so she, yeah. brought, she brought her work computer with her to Costa Rica because she was like, oh, I'm not even telling my boss that I'm going on this little adventure. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to work from my computer from home. And then. She ended up working from there for months. And then for I think she, she finally had to tell her boss, like, after so many weeks, she was like, oh, by the way, I'm in Costa Rica. <laughs> oh, my God. So if you have a return to office policy, I can't make it. <laughs> Just <laughs> FYI. Because I'm stuck. <laughs> So at least they were still able to like get money and be working and not just like stuck there that whole time with like no funds or anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Was he getting money from his YouTube? So that's how it became a Netflix documentary was because he I don't know how like the timing of how or when he posted it, but he eventually like posted. Oh, this is the situation. I'm stuck with this woman I went on a third date with and we're in Costa Rica. And then he started like live vlogging that. And so that blew up. All the news outlets wanted to interview them and they were like People Magazine was calling them up and all this shit. And so that's how it became a, a documentary. So I'm sure he got some funds from that <laughs> yeah you know we're trying to get all trying to get the youtube funds <laughs> i know i know so i just thought that was a super cute thing it was like watching a rom-com but like real life it was kind of cute oh yeah, yeah it's on my list i will be watching it um so from that i have something <laughs> a little less light and fun and a little more devastating <laughs> that i watched <laughs> love and right to disaster <laughs> I literally watched these like back to back like it was like a sequel or something and they're not related. <laughs> the next one was The Volcano. So Rescue from Vakari, which is in New Zealand. It was a volcano, a volcanic island. I guess they call it White Island or something off the mm-hmm. coast of somewhere in New Zealand. Vakari, I guess. 
it's a documentary because it was a disaster. It's not a documentary because they're just showing you the beauty of the volcano. But it reminded me so much of just the situation in the Azores. Mm. Everything about it was just like, I was like cringing watching it because I'm watching these people go through disaster and then I'm like comparing it to what our ancestors might have gone through in some situations in the Azores, but also to like the fact that they're still like living, working, and just existing on this volcano today, like active volcano, and just like it ain't no thing. You just and then go you, about their day. And then you see what it's capable of in this documentary, which was terrifying. In this particular situation, the volcanic island is uninhabited, but it's a tourist thing. So they take you from the coast, they take you on like a 90 minute boat ride out to the island, and you just kind of walk around. You go and you walk like the rim and see like the little lake or whatever and i'm like it's a fucking sassy dodge like oh my god it's, fucking sassy dodge. it's foodnish lake like i'm like and they go and they walk around and they look down like the crater they walk look down the rim or whatever and it's active so like as they're walking around on this little island like they have the the little you know sulfur mist bubbling up from yeah. different spots and i'm like this is fucking foodnish <laughs> <laughs> this is the food niche so these people go there on like a guided tour that you pay money yeah. for like an excursion right they have guides or whatever and there's boats that go you know off and on all day and i think there was maybe uh three different tour groups or something that happened to be on it at the time that it fucking erupted oh like my the- god and it was like um not an eruption that like when i think eruption you always like assume like the like the Hawaiian volcanoes where it's like like black lava flow, like molten lava coming out. It's not like that. It was like a steam eruption. So it was just this powerful, hot steam erupting from the volcano and just like rocks just like <laughs> being blown into the air. Yeah. And so like you had to take cover from rocks, but then the steam was also just cooking you alive, basically. Holy shit. So all these people are in this documentary and they're talking, um, the survivors, because not everybody survived, but the people who actually survived it, they're talking on the documentary and they're all like burned head to toe. Oh, my God. Like very, very severe full body burns. Oh, it's awful. And it was just so heartbreaking. Like one couple was there on their honeymoon. Oh, my God. They both yeah. burned head to toe, like super traumatizing experience. Like you had these like massive burns, like your skin was like falling off, like TMI. Sorry, trigger warning. You then had to get like a, when the rescue boat came, you then had to get on a 90 minute choppy ass rescue boat ride, like sitting on no. like splashed with seawater, sitting on like the the oh, front end man. of the boat yeah. to get back to land to go to the hospital. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. You can't like helicopter that in. <laughs> fantastic fucking point right um when it started erupting and they knew there were people on the island there was a couple of like just regular citizens that took their like small private planes or um one guy had a helicopter and they just immediately flew out there to try to like rescue people see what was going Mm -hmm. on see what the situation was they were calling the whole time for like help and backup we have this like little private plane but we don't have like the resources emergency rescue resources to get these people up onto the plane and get them out of here and stuff you know what i mean like we don't have any medical supplies like we have nothing um no stretchers like none of that so they were calling for emergency service help and they 
they called off emergency services. They said it's too dangerous. We can't fly over there. So these fucking just citizens with their regular ass planes were just going through bodies and doing like uh, it's like wartime shit and trying to pull bodies up into their planes. And they ended up saving a handful of people that way. But then there was others that were either already dead that they couldn't save or that they um, just couldn't rescue. Oh, my goodness. Crazy. Uh, I'm like out of breath. I'm so (laughs) so passionate. I'm just thinking, like, of our family members that live in the Azores, like, that's something that they could potentially face. I've told you, I I think I've said this on here before, but I went to the, like, I don't know if it's the historic center, but, like, the geological center of Futnish. Yeah. It's It's, like, a little, like, educational area. And I went through and I sat through, like, a video that they have about it. And, like, the people were on there talking about, like, the danger is real. Like, the danger is real. These yeah. people live in this situation day in and day out. And, like, it, like, it ain't no fucking thing. But, like, you live, you're, it's active. Like, you're not cooking food underground because it's dormant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you can't just cook food underground. <laughs> Oh, it's so sad. I do want to watch that, but I'm gonna get emotional on that one. It was it was difficult to get through. Like even yeah. one one guy, he was able to run fast enough when it started erupting that he got to the edge of the island and he jumped in the water, and mm-hmm. he basically just like went underwater and just like held his breath underwater, like while this eruption was occurring. It was very quick. It was like a two to three minute like first initial event there that happened which is crazy because i went back and looked at the azores and i was looking at like their history of eruptions and the- mm-hmm. i was like wait a minute like it would say like fayal and it would be like 1957 to 1958 and i'm like wait, wait what and i looked through and it was like oh it erupted like every day for 18 months or something ridiculous and i'm like wait what what like yeah. this, this one that I watched the documentary around was like a three minute situation, and yeah, and that one was just like erupting every day for a year and a half. And I'm assuming <laughs> people like left, right? Like people evacuated, or were there people like still? No, probably not. Kelly, the the one fact that stuck with me was the fact that when these eruptions happen, like it would pour rock and whatever lava rock into the. <laughs> ocean and a lot of times it would make new land like that's how these islands were created in the first place right and so it would create like this new little like island off the coast of Fayal or wherever whichever island it was and then they would go out and fucking plant a flag a Portuguese flag (laughs) (laughs) oh that breaks my heart (laughs) that breaks my freaking heart they would go out and put plant a portuguese flag on it like they were not concerned with evacuating they were concerned with colonizing the volcanic pile that breaks my heart it's more land it's more land they can just grow and get bigger isn't that the most fucked up thing you've ever heard they use everything we told you i wonder if there's any like if there's any tragic stories from any of the eruptions from Azores. Well, the, the Fayal one was the reason that they all immigrated. They opened up immigration. Yeah, for sorry. Besides that. Yeah, like that one. But like, has there been any like probably recently? Not that I can 
A lot of them that I've read have been like, they're like underwater eruptions. I don't really know what that means, but there's like underwater versions of the eruptions. And then there's been like the earthquakes, which is all like kind of tied to the same thing, like the seismic activity. Yeah. I will have to watch the volcano on Netflix. When you see them walking around on there for the at the beginning, try not to be like, oh, I could make a good cuisine in there. Man, I watched like a few weeks ago. I watched the Netflix documentary on the Malaysian airline that disappeared. The oh, that- MH, whatever. I was bawling my eyes out too. That shit fucked me up. Like when when that stuff was happening in real time, I was like, I can't even. I can't. I like. I can't even process it. Like it's almost. It's like nine eleven stuff. Like yeah. I have to just put it aside because I can't. It's too much. It's too, it's too much for me like to. The, yeah, clips of like the family crying and stuff. I was just like, yeah, I, I, I can't. It's. When I know it's like something sad, I got to like prepare myself and give myself time for it. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm watching. What I'm reading, I just started a book called Palo Alto, History of California, Capitalism and the World. It's by Malcolm Harris. He looks like he also has a couple other books about like millennial shit that I'd be interested in. Yeah, some good titles. Some some great titles. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to finish this one and then dive into maybe some of his other books. This is like a six hundred and fifty page book. I get like thirty pages into it and I'm like, they're already talking about Azorian immigrants, and I'm like, this is this is great. And I had no like no expectation of there being anything Portuguese or Azorian about this book. I just bought it because it was about capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to learn more about the awful state of our nation <laughs> and i'm 30 pages in and they're talking about freaking azorians that made it over to california in the bay area at the time of the gold rush so this book takes you i guess from like initial settlement of california all the way to current and so the gold rush is the very early start of this and I guess the Azorians were a little late. <laughs> they were a little late <laughs> to the goal. To the game. So by the time they got there, there was like no, not too much more gold to be had. Gosh, of course. So then they were just like, yo, but we're pretty good farmers. So like, maybe we could just like farm this land over here and start our own little agricultural thing. And that's what they did. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> we're always late to the game. Always late to the game. The book actually has a lot of really fascinating shit in it. And it was talking about how, like, the very first bank out there. So there's a bunch of immigrants coming in, right? And then this Italian immigrant decided he was going to start up the Bank of Italy and solely get all of the Italians to use mm-hmm. the Bank of Italy. And, like, he just would go around getting all business from all the Italian immigrants all up and down the coast in California. And then eventually he started, like, branching out to other cultures he was like oh we got all the italians now like like what's our next culture we're going after and he yeah, just started yeah, yeah. branching out from there and it's fucking bank of america it's fucking oh, bank of america <laughs> damn of course it would be an italian not a portuguese that would start that <laughs> we don't keep our money in banks no we don't you please yeah <laughs> We don't keep our money in banks, but if somebody came around, a Portuguese guy came around to all the Portuguese immigrants and was like, oh, so Banco de Portugal. 
Yeah. All, all day. All day. Yeah. They'll be giving their money to them. Right? <laughs> Sign me over. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They don't, yeah. they don't trust the Bank of America. <laughs> Bank of Portugal. You better believe. Right? Yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. It's a good point. Portuguese man just shows up to your house. They're giving their money, probably. No doubt. Right. Italian man shows up to your house. <laughs> But then all of a sudden you get rebranded as Bank of America. Those Portuguese people are pulling that money right back out. Right out. I'm not putting my money in America. Are you kidding me? It's only good enough to settle my family here, but not to I'll trust you with my money. It's so true. So anyway, that was just a little tidbit. Nothing too deep um, into the book. Because I'm only like 70 pages into this 600 page novel. But we'll see if the Portuguese... Uh, resurface in this book so it's pretty and it's pretty thick you looked it you showed it you showed it to me and it's a pretty thick book yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna show it right here yeah yep very thick very big book and it's very dense so it's i'm i'm loving it so far but it's it's like you're reading like a history book basically so mm-hmm. it's very interestingly written but you have to like take your time digesting like wait wait what does this mean what are they saying what happened right. it's all leans to the that's fucked up (laughs) side of the spectrum when you start going into our history and how things why things are the way they are you're like oh that's fucked (laughs) (sighs) this world man (laughs) yeah everything's we teased you guys a little bit with our it's called a baja inspired tunic intro and we're gonna kick off our culture segment now so we can get into that but we somehow wanted to make like a little segment about cultural appropriation we thought we had a few things there to talk about, but we immediately stumbled upon this Portuguese connection and then just went down the rabbit hole. So we are going to give you a little subset of what we found with Tori Birch, the designer, (laughs) high fashion designer, because we wanted to find out like, okay, who's appropriating Portuguese culture? Right. Right. Yeah. That was our initial conversation. Right, because it didn't feel to us like people were appropriating Portuguese culture. Like, you know, there's like the obvious ones, like, you know, like the Irish and the leprechaun thing. And then you have, uh, you know, Native Americans Americans. get appropriated. You get uh, Mexicans get appropriated for Cinco de Mayo type things. It's very gimmicky. It's very much like that. And I hadn't recall anything super gimmicky about Portuguese culture being appropriated. Nothing that came to mind for us. So we started researching it. And the very first thing we stumbled upon was this. <laughs> <laughs> we stumbled upon this Baja inspired tunic. And I'm quoting, quote, Baja inspired tunic. It, it's a sweater that Tori Birch made and put out in her spring 2021 collection. <laughs> <laughs> Not too long ago, guys. <laughs> no, this is recent. It's white wool. And it's embroidered with black and red embroidery. And it's kind of like images or insignia. Like they, they, this it's a little bit of like a maybe a Portuguese like coat of arms on there. Mm-hmm. And then there's other like nautical type things on there. And I guess this is a sweater that originated in Portugal in a village, I think north of Port called Puva. Vua Varzim. Varzim, yeah, that's how I was pronouncing it. I, don't know. I might be butchering that. Yeah. It is, <laughs> it is what it is. It is. 
and it was like a fisherman thing. Like this was a sweater apparently that was worn by a fisherman. I don't know if it was like day to day worn by them, but it seemed like it was more like if they were going on a particularly long journey, like this was like a send off sweater for them or something. Yeah. I don't know. The thing that struck out to me was it's super fucking cute. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I want it. I want one. <laughs> Not for the price, but I want one. So this I sweater, would- if you look up like the original like traditional sweater from this mm. village in Portugal. Super cute sweater. Like it was cute yeah. back then. Tori Birch apparently also thought it was cute. She remade it almost identically, like Portuguese insignia and all. But she did not credit anything to the Portuguese culture in any way, shape, or form. And she listed it on her website for whatever the fuck, $816. Yeah. Something. Can I add and listed it as a Baja-inspired tunic after Baja, California, the Mexican state, which is just not the same. It's just not yeah. the same. <laughs> and you can, like, so my first thing was, like, okay, like, does does Baja have their own version of this sweater? And I looked up, like, Baja, um, Mexico sweaters or tunics or garb or whatever, and they do have a very specific tunic type mm-hmm. thing pullover sweater thing but it's like i have one it's one of those like striped like you would call it like like a hippie it was like very hippie i know what you're, i know what ones you're talking about they're like very i always say like boho hippie um you see them a lot in like festival like they sometimes get nicknamed <laughs> a, a drug rug <laughs> yes <laughs> You know what I'm yeah. Talking about. yeah, I know exactly which one. And they have the blankets too. Yeah, which yep. I have one of those as well. And I, I, it's my favorite freaking blanket. And I love that sweater. But they're not Portuguese. They're not the same as the Portuguese fisherman sweaters. They're very different. Two, two yeah. different things, right? So people called her out on this. She got called out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Portuguese were not impressed with her. She originally, I believe, changed the name on her website from like Baja Inspired Tunic. And she was like, oh, it was just a mistake. Like, I just mis- misappropriated where this came from. But then she just changed it to sweater tunic. Like, she didn't uh, attribute it to anything. Anything. Okay. At all. And just described it as a symmetrical geometric intarsia design that pairs well with elastic waist pants. <laughs> <laughs> For $816. <laughs> And so she left the Portuguese out of it completely. And then I was looking like to see if it was still on her website. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's completely been removed from the website and the collection entirely now. So the village in Portugal, they like got like a lawyer. They like lawyered up or whatever and like put like legal action out towards her. Yeah, I don't blame them. And then I think that's when she took it down, potentially, because they were like, this is our thing and you're encroaching and not giving credit to to being inspired by this or whatever. So I like, I don't know. So there was like some hot, hot Drama. tensions going yeah. there. It doesn't take away from the fact that I still want one of these sweaters. I know I do, too. <laughs> but I will buy the, the original. I will buy the original in Portugal. <laughs> if you find one when you're out there. Oh, instant at the cart. I'm buying that immediately. But I don't think I'm not going to be in that area. So that's like northern Portugal. More up, right? It's up. I'm going south, Lisbon and south. Oh, okay. 
So I don't know. I'm probably not going to find it. But if I do stumble upon one, you better believe. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. I mean, cute enough that this like massive fashion designer wants to go and sell it for $816 on her website. Like, goddamn. I wonder if she sold any to anyone. Like, I wonder if anyone owns it. I got to imagine that she sold something, right? Before this all came to light. But I don't know. Yet the Portuguese government announced its intention to take legal action and demand compensation for the heritage of Puvoa de Varzim, after which Birch removed the sweater from her website. Oh, in November of 2021, the municipality announced that a settlement with Birch had been reached out of court. Oh. So that's... So she paid some monies, probably? Mm-hmm. She probably paid some money, money. <laughs> interesting so before i move on to like her other controversies with portugal because this is this is the tip of the iceberg (laughs) apparently i just wanted to say that i love a good baja blast from taco bell (laughs) i do too (laughs) i do too actually probably has those flavors the Baja Blast flavors probably have nothing to do with actual flavors in that area of Mexico either (laughs) probably not oh Jesus (laughs) these are all like right on the surface like if you go to Tori Birch's Wikipedia page she has a controversy section and in there there's a couple other cultures that she appropriated I guess Mm -hmm. um like some traditional wear that she was selling without credit to them or whatever. Then there's the the fisherman sweater from Portugal. And then it starts talking about the pottery. <laughs> the pottery. The our favorite. Cabbage wear, if you will. <laughs> the Bordal Pinheiro ceramics. It, which is I, I'm hopefully people know what I'm talking about. It's a bunch of like dinnerware that looks like fucking cabbage cabbage yeah <laughs> <laughs> and if you get like the one with the top the top looks like well like the top of the cabbage i guess like it just like connects <laughs> yes it's like a soup thing like you could have like yeah. a ladle you put soup you know what i mean like it's yeah. like a soup little container they have all different like i guess it's expanded from cabbage where like they have fruits and all kinds of other veg- vegetables there's yeah, tomato tom- tom- <laughs> yeah tomato wear there's banana wear i don't know <laughs> but tori birch sells this line of what she calls lettuce wear <laughs> like, i don't know to me it looks like a curve is a curve <laughs> like, like it's tomato tomato lettuce cabbage it's I mean, it looks the same right right looks very much the same and so I went down the rabbit hole of like on her website, she she credits this like one particular designer that she worked with on her lettuce wear line, which she sells mm-hmm. for ungodly prices, you must know. And it's this like designer that is from like, I don't know, South Beach, Miami or some shit. And she yeah. was like making this in the 1960s. And obviously this all predates that. So like what was she inspired by? I don't know. But. I guess historically, like the Portuguese weren't the only people making cabbage wear. Like they had yeah. it in, you know, in England, there was a lot of history with fruit and veggie wear. <laughs> and then in, 
Italy had their own <laughs> versions of it. It looked a little more like romaine lettuce there, but like, you know, lettuce wear. Yeah, same. Yeah, same, same concept. Same, yeah, same concept, right? Like you make a fucking same lettuce leaf. <laughs> Mm, like a, I don't love that she's not like attributing it to any like particular culture and she's just sure. like selling this shit for like a huge amount of money but you also can't really pinpoint who like who owns the rights to the fucking lettuce wear I don't know yeah you don't know like we don't know who the first person it was the first culture to start it so who she was the first little... person that was like <laughs> what if this bowl looked like it had a lettuce like I don't know <laughs> I bet they didn't get paid enough for that idea with the amount of 1000% they did not guaranteed they did not oh it became like this like upper echelon thing like in the US like this designer woman from the 60s like she was selling to the Kennedys and it was like this whole like oh if you were collecting cabbage where it was like this very sophisticated upscale classy thing I I don't think I have any, but I've had I've had like babysitters and like my grandmother, like my bavo had had one. I don't think my mom personally has a cabbage set. I don't think my mom does either. Yeah, I don't think so. I just know it was everywhere in the yeah. the stores when I was in San Miguel. Like they were selling it everywhere. Like you'd walk into a store and it would just be like cabbage <laughs> everywhere. And they were probably selling it cheaper than what Tory Burch's site did right no doubt like what a freaking steal yeah. I could have I gotten on cabbage wear while I was out there I, I would have had to figure out how to pack that up in the luggage and not break it but <laughs> so the annoying thing is that I was like so I was kind of annoyed at Tory Burch's pricing but then I just went to the the Bordalo Pinier site like they have like a US version of the site I guess that you can order all the stuff directly mm-hmm. from I looked at the pricing and it's so fucking expensive. There's, they have this a curve teapot. It's literally it's on the website. It says curve teapot, and it's two hundred and ninety five dollars. Oh, no, no, I can't. Not for that. Coffee cup and saucer forty five dollars. One one coffee cup. One espresso forty five dollars. Mm. One dinner plate forty dollars. It's too much. Yeah. This says cabbage in its rough and flat form could be used as a metaphor for Portugal's rustic ways, which Bardalo had so many times caricatured. This was a clever way to honor it, placing it on the bourgeois tables where other way it had not been invited. I feel like I do want to own a cabbage lettuce wear set at one point in my life, though. Now I feel like I need one. Like we need, I think we need to get one. Again, not from, not from these no, sites. <laughs> no, no. So if I could find some cabbage wear <laughs> while you're out there, while I'm out there, I'll try to pack it into the carry on. <laughs> and then when they're asking me in customs, are you bringing any fruits and vegetables? <laughs> just a curved teapot. So you're just a curved teapot. Does that count? <laughs> I love it. So the controversy does not end there with this woman and Portugal. So now I think we're just looking for shit to find. <laughs> <laughs> we just we're looking for it. But then the this is what they found. Okay. Internet users, it says, also noted that Birch's logo 
is similar to that of a Portuguese stylist, Nuno Gama, and the Order of the Christ Cross, a historical Portuguese insignia. Immediately when I read this, I pulled up what the fuck does the Order of Christ Cross look like? It sounds like a fucking cult. <laughs> I think it is. And it looks just like the Tory Burch logo. You're just like, oh, it does. <laughs> It's like the little cross that's on the Portugal jerseys, right? That's like the only thing I know that it's on. And then I'm like, it must be on some other stuff. It's on that. It's on the Madeira flag. It's like the center of the Madeira flag. Okay. I'm thinking of her. I'm thinking of her flats that she has. <laughs> right, and I think for her logo, isn't it supposed to be like a T? Doesn't it look like a T or yeah, with a T upside down or something? It looks like it's like yeah. T- upside down on top of each other just pulled it yes yeah yeah like upside down kind of vibe but then if you put that side by side with the order of christ cross they kind of look like they look they look alike kind of yeah she's got henry the navigator vibes on her toes (laughs) and we have a lot of friends that like tori (laughs) so that's why i think it's hilarious And this she's whole so, time, they didn't know that they were just like <laughs> out there walking around with these two like <laughs> culty symbols on their toes. She's so Portuguese inspired. <laughs> so that's what I would like to know is like, has this woman ever stepped foot in Portugal? Like, what does she know about the Portuguese? Like, is this just a coincidence or did she spend some time there and have a little sketchbook and she came home and was like, yo, the cabbage is hot. <laughs> Trying to see what is she it doesn't say really what she is, just says her mom is Jewish. It doesn't really say what her father is. He's a wealthy investor, so he's probably not Portuguese. (laughs) (laughs) If he said he was a construction worker, I'd be like, okay, (laughs) there's a good chance. Yeah, she's about as American as they come, I think. Yeah. Very pretty lady. All right, so she has been to Portugal. So I, did, I just typed in, has Tori Birch ever been to Portugal? And it says, Tori Birch design director and brand ambassador Felipe de Abreu gives a tour of her eclectic abode. And this was July 20th, 2022. This is an article in Vogue. Felipe de Abreu is living in the house of her dreams, located in Lisbon's Lapa neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. The restored old home brings forth a burst of vibrant color, blah, 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 blah. It talks about design stuff. But Tori Birch went to this woman's house. So so she stepped foot in Portugal. <laughs> but this is like, this was written in 2022. So like, did she go to Portugal to like make amends after she was <laughs> called out? Or, you know what I mean? Right. This is one of her workers. I don't know. All I'm getting out of this is that Tori Birch has a worker who works in Lisbon, has a really cool house and then she visited it and did a photo shoot for Vogue in this this house but like I don't know that she's like appreciating the culture or if this is just this is PR her PR person was like you need to go you need to go (laughs) you you know what you need you need a photo shoot in a funky Lisbon apartment that's what you need Our our Lisbon correspondent, Kyler, I wonder if maybe he'll let her into his place for the next 
<laughs> for the, the next, next photo shoot. Yeah. <laughs> when she needs to make apology <laughs> rounds again. <laughs> I didn't realize that she was already like a bit older. She's 57. And she's married to a Frenchman now, so I don't know what that means, but there's <laughs> some culture there right there. Oh, Jesus. So, like, I can't untangle this web, Kelly. So I'm trying, I was in the search of trying to figure out, like, you know, how much time did she spend in Portugal to be inspired by all this? And then I see, like, a thing for her website, and it's, like, Jardin Tablecloth. Oh, <laughs> It's a tablecloth that looks super Portuguese. It's got these little like blue flowers on it. It's a white background with these little blue flowers. And it says, presenting an exclusive tabletop collection inspired by Tori's love of entertaining and perfect for every day. Made in Portugal, our cotton jardin tablecloth is printed with sweet pea flowers that appear to gently float and fall. Finished with crisp, solid color border. Brings a pop of pattern to dining. Ideal for any occasion. I'm sorry, $298 for a tablecloth? (laughs) (laughs) What? Made in Portugal. You know that these women are making this for like a dollar a day. Like, what are we doing? This is pissing me off more than anything else. (laughs) Oh, my God. Dry clean only. Get out of (laughs) here with that. This is pissing me off more than anything else. Thinking of the Portuguese woman making this. Getting paid a fraction of the $298 that she's selling it for. Seriously. This This one's $358. People. Oh, my God. This is why this country is such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) This literally looks like like the the tablecloth that my grandmother would bring home like every time she went to the Azores. Like she'd pack it in her mala (laughs) and... She'd give it out to like all the grandchildren as right. souvenirs. And I know she wasn't paying no $298. Damn. The tablecloth that just covers your table that you're, you're going to eat on. Your tablecloth no probably costs, costs more than the food that you just bought. For $298. I can't afford to feed the family after that. <laughs> You're going to sit at the table. You're going to look at the flowers. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Like Connie would say, <laughs> just picture yourself near the beautiful flowers in Portugal. And forget that you're hungry. <laughs> Fuck. Damn, $299. I respect the people I can, that buy it and have no problem with it. <laughs> you do you if it makes you happy, but Hosa. All right. So needless to say, this little experiment and rabbit hole that I went down, it makes me irrationally angry. Mm -hmm. And I feel like like, I was never going to buy a Tory Burch item before this, before like I was just it could never be me. I was never going to spend that kind of money on those things. But like after reading this, like I feel like I'm definitely not (laughs) ever dabble in the Burch. I can't. I don't think I own anything from... Tory Burch either. I don't think. Not that I don't like any of her stuff. She's got a lot of cute stuff, but I just haven't come across, I think, anything that I wanted or... Yeah, no. Same. The prices that she has, it's like you can fly to that country. I know. Buy it there and fly home. Like, <laughs> for the same price. 
as just Damn. buying it from her website. So just imagine telling your husband that you dropped $300 on a tablecloth. No. To put your lettuce bowl on top of <laughs> <laughs> that you spent $110 on. Yeah, and my $300 curve teapot. Like, <laughs> yeah. Please, please, woman, be fucking for real right now. Oh, man. And I'm, I'm going to sit there in my $800 fisherman sweater <laughs> at the table. Like, please. But no food because you just spent it all. Oh, my gosh. We're going to wrap this up with a mental health segment that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But it's just like some ideas that crossed my mind recently. <laughs> <laughs> Same. About... <laughs> just work work environments co-workers corporate life you know that kind of thing and how it's, it's kind of like a, a known thing quote unquote your co-workers are not your friends right mm-hmm. and it's hard pill to swallow because you always think they're your friends and when you're in it when you're in the situation of working with them you're just like oh no i'm the exception like these are my friends yeah <laughs> but then yeah. like remove yourself from the situation remove yourself from working somewhere and you're like never heard from these people ever again or you're just like it's done it's it's toast it does not last the test of moving you to a different spot yeah and i started thinking about you know whether i had had any jobs over the course of my life and my different careers and things that i've held where i had like genuine friendships that i would Mm -hmm. say lasted outside of the context of just working at that place And it seemed to me, at least, and you can kind of comment on your experience, too. But for me, it seemed like my earliest jobs, like the first jobs you get, were the ones you made the best connections with people. Everything is like so irrelevant to you. Like you don't give a shit about the corporate life. You don't give a shit about the drama, moving up in the world, moving up the ladder. Like you're just like, I'm here because my fucking immigrant dad told me I had to get a job. pay my car insurance and you're like (laughs) a thousand percent yep but like you're you're in a spot where you're like okay i know this isn't my career like i'm going to school for something else i'm gonna have another job you know sometime down the road so like i have no desire to move up the ladder here i'm not trying to stab anyone in the back no one's right that me in the back i'm just existing i'm doing my job i'm not bothering anybody and i'm just like you can have genuine connections in that setting in that environment yeah yeah, I can say those like those jobs. I'm actually still friends with some of those people today. Right. And like very like good friends, like very close with them till this day. <laughs> Other jobs? No. <laughs> nope. Right. It's like it's once you not. once you cross some certain thresholds where you're like, okay, I'm either trying to make something of this job or this is where I'm going to be or this is like my career. All of a sudden, it's like it's a different game. It's a whole different situation. And even people that you think you're making genuine connections with, you're kind of like left with, okay, at the end of the day, if push came to shove, like, yeah, everybody here is going to throw the other fucking person under the bus so fucking hard just to save your own ass. You know what I mean? And it's just like, (laughs) so it just breeds, even if it's not like out in the open, it just breeds some underlying shit that like does not stand the test of time once you remove yourself from that situation yeah i feel like that kind of happened to me recently you won't get into it (laughs) too much but like yeah i think i kind of got thrown under the bus 
by someone who I, you know, quote unquote, thought was my friend, which at the end of the day, like I had that mindset still to like these coworkers, I'm not my friends. But you go into you go into these jobs hoping still like that's not the case. You're like, you spend oh, so much we... time with them. You spend more time with these coworkers than you do probably like your husband, right? Like yes. more or less. I don't know. Maybe it depends on how many hours you work, I guess. So you would hope like you could at least make a genuine friendship with somebody out of like the one per like maybe one out of like the 10 people that you might work with you would hope at least with one of them you could even if you're just like oh i'm content like i'm not trying to like move up or anything like i'm just content just doing my job doing my thing like somebody else may be trying to move up and like the way that they think they need to move up is by shitting on the people around them you know what i mean yeah so it's just like, it doesn't <laughs> matter it doesn't even matter like what you're what you're doing and in, in your own lane it's like what is everybody doing in their lanes? Like, how, yeah. does it, how does this shit roll downhill? Like, how is it going to get to you eventually? Oh my god, that hits! That hits so. <laughs> so you you hit that right. <laughs> the doornail. Whatever. I can't even think of the saying because I'm just like, that's the exact same thing I'm dealing with currently. <laughs> like it feels genuine in the moment, but at the end of the day, when you look back on it, you're like, oh my god, you're in a forced situation with these people, and you're like, it feels. It's it's transactional. Like the way that you're interacting yeah. with these people is very transactional. Even though it feels like it's normal and genuine in the moment, like yeah, you can rem- be removed from that for some time. You're like, wow, that was a very transactional relationship. Like we were just getting through it, and it didn't have any fucking roots or legs to stand on. Uh, it's like so sad to think of it that way, though. Too like, well, it is what it is. Whatever, right? Like. Oh, it's super depressing. Yeah. <laughs> super, super depressing. Like, like my father would say, you're not going to work to make friends. And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's like a, another fucked up way to look at it. Like, you still want to have some friendships with people that you work with. Because it's one thing, like, if something's happening at work, or if you're going through something while you're at work, it's so much easier to, like, reach out to the person you're working with versus, like, yeah, I can text my friends. You guys might be busy at your jobs and might not answer me right away. Where like the girl that's right across the right across the desk from me, I can be like, oh my god, like can you come like talk to me in the bathroom? I'm I'm freaking out because of whatever. So you'd hope you can make a friendship. I, I and maybe maybe people are the exception to this rule, but like to me, it's like once I got out of like my early very early jobs, mm-hmm. and once it was like corporate got yeah. entered the chat once corporate entered the chat it was like <laughs> fucking game over like it just and you don't realize it. that i think until you leave obviously right and not even sometimes not even immediately when you leave because there's some like bleed over where like oh yeah like people like will just still reach we- out for some amount of time and then yeah it's just, like you're done what you had in common was your proximity to each other during that particular time and you didn't have anything beyond just being <laughs> in the same fucking place every day you know what i mean it's true no it's so true no i was gonna say like my i'm just trying to think of my last job that i was at i think i, st- I stayed in contact with one person and we're like it helps too with like social media because you can kind of still like like you know you like each other's stuff other than that but like a genuine friendship friendship huh. <laughs> It's tough, too, because it's not like like if you are making friends, generally you like to have like certain things in common with them as like a baseline, like you have some commonalities. 
and the fucking smorgasbord of people that get pulled together for these jobs oh. it's like what do you have in common oh you like you like surviving you like making money so you can <laughs> eat? like that's, that's what you have in common right these people sometimes and it's a wide range of ages and experiences and interests and like jerry from accounting does military reenactments on the weekend i'm like i i, I don't know he's reenacting the civil war but like i don't know how to engage with that <laughs> Or your your best coworker friend could be like a fifty year old Susan. <laughs> like you don't know, right? So then, like, take yourself out of that situation, and it's like, what are what are you really gonna do? You're gonna invite Jerry from accounting over to your fucking barbecue? Like, right. probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. Right? Yeah. No, it's so true. It's different when you were younger. When you were younger, I think you you cared more about making the friends. I used to go out with like my coworkers all the time after work. Like if we closed the shift together, we're like, hurry, let's go grab, like we would go to fiestas or something like right after work. So I don't do that now. No, my, my best friends were from my very first job. Like I had like two best friends I made there and like I dated one of them. And then <laughs> <laughs> when we broke up, I lost all the friends too, but like, you know, yeah. That, that, hey, that, that happens. That happens, yeah. But but we had close friendships, really close out of that situation. Like you we were there to like, hey, I, I got all these people my age here. Like, yeah, I'm fucking folding towels, but like what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like it's so true, yeah. Oh, I would go back to those moments though. Dude, I would do anything to just be like mindlessly fucking folding towels in the back of a JC Penny right now. <laughs> So I don't know. Hopefully our listeners can relate to that segment. It was just something that came into my mind this week. And I think we both had some <laughs> experiences, <laughs> some experiences that sort of brought this to light a little bit yeah. for us recently. Yep, definitely. <laughs> Maybe when I'm ready, I'll talk about it. Well, we hope you enjoyed another lovely week of our podcast. Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, thanks for listening. And we appreciate you guys. We do. We're never going to leave you high and dry. We're not going to ghost you guys. 